It is three minutes past 11, and I've got a guest in studio to talk about a new Center for Rural Behavioral Health opening here at Minnesota State University, Mankato. I have with me the founding assistant professor in health science, director for the Center of Behavioral, for the Center for Rural Behavioral Health, and that is Dr. Thad Schunkweiler. Good morning. Good morning, Karen. Thanks so much for having me. So now this is an idea that you got in 2019, and I read a, a statistic here that this is from actually 2021, that the 2021 Minnesota Department of Health Workforce Report shows that 80% of Minnesota counties qualify as mental health professional shortage areas. So this is 2021. So obviously in 2019, you recognize there's something going on out there. And as teaching these types of things, talk about how that idea popped up and, and what you thought might fix it. Yeah, so really the idea for this came even before I came to MSU. Um, my my work before becoming an academic was actually working in clinical practice, oh. running uh, mental health clinics really? in uh, the Mankato area. And as I was doing that, I, I recognized just how challenging it was to attract clinicians or attract the professionals who treat mental health conditions and the struggle we had about recruiting them and keeping them on staff. And, and so when I came into academia, I told myself one of the things that I want to start addressing is how how do we ensure that there's enough of these mental health professionals for our communities? And so in 2019, uh, I wrote a paper that basically started looking at the, the gap in the workforce, looking at how many people needed access to mental health care and how many actual providers there were of that care. And what we discovered was something we already knew, which was that there wasn't enough of these trained professionals to meet the current demand. But one of the things that we did in that paper was we projected out 10 years because one of the things that the Minnesota Department of Health does every year you renew your healthcare license, they ask you a series of questions. And one of those questions is how long you anticipate to continue to practice in the field. And the responses to that answer were really staggering to us in that over half of the current behavioral health providers in Minnesota projected to leave their job in the next 10 years. So we thought in 2019 that this was a problem and how long people were having to wait. If we are to fast forward 10 years, this problem was going to be a crisis. And so that really kind of gave me the idea of saying, what can we do about that? Here at this institution, our motto is big ideas with real world solutions. And so I said, it's not simply enough to just identify the problem. What can we do to, heart, uh, to start solving the problem? And that's where the idea for starting a center for rural behavioral health came from. Well, now, is the issue only in rural behavioral health or in the metro areas as well? Because I think mental health has become a growing issue everywhere. Yeah, so the entire state faces the mental health professional shortage, but the the problem is much more pronounced in rural areas. To give you another statistic, uh, according to Minnesota Department of Health, the metro, the seven-county metro area makes up about 54% of our state's population, but they also are home to 80% of our practicing mm -hmm. behavioral health providers. So that means that for a little less than half of the state, there's only about 20% of those providers. So it's a problem in Edina and in Burnsville don't get me wrong, but that problem is much more pronounced in Waseca and St. James and the New Alms of the world. And now the number you, you said was that 
that a number of them, uh, many of them plan to get out of the business after 10 years. Is it because they know they're going to burn out or they are burning out or what is the reason? It's a combination of things, Karen. Really, it's it's a combination of the age of the provider. Oh, and so sure. you anticipate that somebody who's close to retirement would say, yeah, around 65, I intend mm-hmm. to leave the field. And so a number of our providers, particularly in outstate Minnesota, are on their you know tail end of their career. So the just aging out is a big factor. But the other big factor is that burnout that you just mentioned. Mentioned. Um, I mean, it's tough work to sit with people who are struggling with mental health and emotional struggles. And so you are doing that day in and day out. And often you might be the only one in your community that does it. So you are overwhelmed with the amount of work that's on your plate. And so that leads to a burnout. And so people who have a few years left in their career are saying, I'm going to do something different because it's it's taking its toll on my own mental health. Are there fewer people even going into that profession in general? Yeah. So if you look at the um, the projections, there's just already uh, fewer students going into college at all, right? So sure. the pipeline is is slowing down the students going from high school into college. And of those students going into college, we've never been the number one kind of uh, career destination, yeah. right? We're, we're often considered like a discovery career in that most people know what a nurse is, they know what a dentist is or a physician, but when you ask them what a therapist is or a psychologist psychologist, most people don't really understand what that job is. And so we have to do a better job of educating those students about those opportunities. So what do you tell people a therapist does then? Let's say I'm somebody who maybe I've never seen a therapist and I'm say, what really do you do? You just sit and listen to people talk all day or... I think of a mental health professional or a therapist as a healthcare professional who is trained to help you kind of navigate life's emotional difficulties. And I think these past two years have exposed uh, emotional difficulties that we've been struggling with, unlike any other point um, in recent memory. And so if someone were to come to me and say, what does a therapist do? I would say that they are a trained professional that helps you navigate through your emotional challenges in a way that helps you become the best version of yourself. You know, in the past, and I think things have changed through the years, there was always the the stigma of seeing a mental health professional and it was like, well, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And finally, people are realizing that it is a health issue uh, unlike before, they thought it was just something, a, a matter of will or something. Absolutely. It's a bit of a double-edged sword. On one hand, I'm, 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 I'm very thankful that we're finally giving mental health issues and mental illness the attention that they so deserve, right? You can't open a newspaper uh, today without having some story connected to mental health. And so that is fantastic. But the other side of that sword is we're also not then having conversations about who's going to provide that care. So there's lots of push to get people care and encourage that care and to destigmatize mental health care. But there isn't the conversation of who are we going to get to, to provide that care. So a couple of weeks ago, the university sent out a news release basically stating Minnesota State University Mankato's College of Allied Health and Nursing will establish a Center for Rural Behavioral Health in the fall to improve access to behavioral health care for residents in outstate Minnesota to include residents of recognized reservations. So what did, what happened to make this come, become a reality? As you mentioned, it's an idea, 2019, and now all of a sudden you say it's going to happen this fall. 
Yeah, so lots of things went into making this from an idea to an actual uh, tangible center, right? And so the support of the university uh, was obviously required, and 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 really that's what helped us take it across this finish line. I think of uh, Dean Rutherford and the College of Allied Health and Nursing, who supported this idea from the very beginning and pushed it through two presidential administrations. I mean, as many of the listeners are aware, uh, we, we we've changed presidents in the last year, and anytime something like that happens, there is kind of a pause on a lot of these projects. And so we had to kind of wait our time until President Inch was kind of in office and kind of better understood what we were trying to do before putting the university stamp of approval on this. And and now we're really excited that this fall, we're going to kick this off and get started on the work of the center. Now, one of the things I ask you when I assume, this is an assumption on my part, I assumed, oh, well, you're going to build a new building or you're going to be located in the health sciences building. But you said no building involved. So yeah. let's talk about that. What what, what do you mean? It's if I think of a center, I think of some place you go. I think that's a pretty common assumption when you say the word center, it's a physical location. Mm -hmm. But part of the viability and success of our center is that we require very little investment at a time in which budgets are tight everywhere on college campuses and other businesses. To to have an idea that then requires significant investment is often a barrier. But this idea didn't require significant investment in the way of bricks and windows and doors and that the work that we're going to accomplish is really kind of created in a virtual space where we are creating a center where we can collaborate across our campus to start solving that problem of growing more uh, behavioral health professionals for outstate Minnesota. All right, because as we all know that COVID, the pandemic forced us into doing a a lot of online learning. So is this sort of a growth out of that? Because a lot of things were transferred from in the classroom to online. So did this sort of grow out of that? transformation. Yeah, of, of you know all the things that COVID gave us, um, one of the things that we could probably take away as a positive is that uh, we have some really awesome technology and some real cool capabilities where we can get work done and solve problems without physically having to be in the same space. So the work of the center may allow me to work with a faculty member at the U of M or even up in, at UMD in Duluth, and we can kind of collaborate on research and other types of projects that help address the mission of the center without physically having to travel to one another's campus or to, to build a building for this work to, to take place. So is this a degree program? I mean, would they take uh, basic classes first like any other uh diploma or degree they were going to get undergraduate degree yeah so the center is not necessarily like an academic program but rather what it's doing is it's providing a collaborative space so that the programs that on our campus that are already producing mental health professionals and we have four of those programs on our campus it allows us to start collaborating in ways that we historically haven't so to give uh, the listeners an example those four programs that produce mental health professionals on our campus are spread across three different colleges. And so there are people who are doing very similar work that I'm doing in a different building on campus whom I've never met, Mm. whom I've never worked with. And so this is an opportunity for those faculty and those researchers to kind of pull their uh, efforts together in a way to address this this crisis that we're facing in outstate Minnesota. So would they don't necessarily take or would they have some undergraduate 
basic classes, general classes before they would attend this? So students who pursue degrees in mental health, mm-hmm. um, they they often come in from lots of different perspectives. And so uh, most, if not all, mental health professional degrees are graduate degrees. And so students are getting an undergraduate degree maybe in psychology or in alcohol and drug studies or some other uh, undergrad degree. And with the intention of then pursuing a graduate degree either in social work, counseling, um, school psychology, or they may even go the nursing route to work on becoming a, a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So is this a graduate, all graduate level then? It's uh, it's both in okay. that um, in Minnesota, drug and alcohol counselors, so people who treat uh, people who struggle with addiction, is a bachelor's degree level licensure. But those other therapist levels and psychologist levels are require graduate degrees, and some even more so than that. They require doctoral degrees or uh, med med school degrees if they're going to be prescribing medicine. What are some of the unique mental health issues that rural areas face? Are there certain things that seem to pop up again and again? I mean, of course, we've we've heard of the opioid crisis and that sort of thing, but are there other areas we might not think about or consider? Yeah, that's, you know, when I think of like the differences, because people ask me, what's the difference, Thad, between rural mental health and metro mental mm-hmm. health? And and I think it, it, it is hard to understand because a broken arm here in Mankato is the same thing, same problem as it is in downtown Minneapolis. Right. But the emotional struggles and challenges that our friends and neighbors face in rural isolated areas are very different than our friends and neighbors face in downtown St. Paul, right? And so I think about the stress of living in rural America, the isolated, maybe you have, um, you know, problems finding work. Or I think before COVID, one of the big topics was the farm stress that people were experiencing, that we saw a surge in farm suicides that we had never seen before. That story kind of got lost as COVID uh, entered our world, but that's still something that I think is pretty unique to outstate and rural areas. The other thing that's unique or different about the challenges in outstate is just the access to care. If I'm someone in St. Paul who needs a mental health appointment, I have a lot of opportunity. I have a lot of places I can go. But if I live in St. James, I may only have one or two places within 60 miles that I can go to access that care. Did you do any studies on how long a wait it is sometimes to see a mental health professional? Because that is the one thing I hear, whether it's in schools or, or anywhere, is you you let's say you have a mental health issue and you want to see a specific professional, you may have to wait months to get in. So anecdotally, we have done some work in calling around different places locally. And most places, if the issue is an emergency, they can get you in uh, for one or two appointments fairly quickly, right? I think we do a pretty good job in mental health care to say there are times in which somebody needs to be seen right away. The issue is very urgent. But if I were to just say, I want to access someone to help me with a marital problem that I'm having or some depressive uh, issues that I'm experiencing, and I anticipate needing 10, 12, um, appointments, you're looking at four, five, six months before you can get in to see somebody for that long-term care. And that is that is way too long. Absolutely. When you think of mental health crises, they're in the moment. It doesn't do any good to tell someone, well, we can see you in three weeks. Um, in those three weeks, uh, uh, a lot can go uh, wrong uh, for individuals in that time. So it's there's definitely a pressing need to get more urgent care availability for people struggling with those mental health crises. Are there any similar programs being offered, such as this Center for Rural Behavioral Health? 
So every state in the country has a center for rural health. And so it is a dedicated research hub where they look at the rural nature of healthcare. But we are the only one in the country that has an academic affiliated center looking exclusively at behavioral health. And that's why I was so excited about doing that here at MSU is that we can really lead the way, not just for Minnesota, but literally the entire country as far as looking at how do we improve access and care in rural areas when it pertains to mental health. You know, I was wondering if this compares to a number of years back, well, quite a few years back. Now, I used to work at Emanuel St. Joseph's Hospital, now Mayo Health System, in community relations. And one of the issues then was attracting doctors, medical mm-hmm. doctors, which was a, a real issue to get them in to come into rural areas. So they started a rural physicians program. And I don't know if if that's all been addressed, if they still have issues or not, but it sounds similar to something like that, where you are specifically targeting these people to bring them to rural areas. How do you make the carrot and the stick attractive to say, well, yeah, hey, do you want to live in St. James or wherever? And I'm not saying they're bad places, but since so many people seem to want to go to the Twin Cities, what is it that's going to make them want to decide to go there? So there are two ways to address this shortage, and one is using that carrot and stick analogy that you just mentioned there, where we have federal and state programs that basically allocate dollars um, to attract professionals to move and work in those isolated or rural areas. And so there may be student loan forgiveness programs or other type of tax incentives for those professionals to relocate to those areas. But what we know about those programs is more often than not, they're a Band-Aid approach yeah. because those providers go and work in that rural area for two years. And they, then get, they, go. they get that bonus mm-hmm. and they're back in the metro. What research tells us and what we know is that if we want to to have a robust healthcare system in rural areas, we have to grow it in those rural areas. And so I need to attract a student from Albert Lee to go into a behavioral health program because I'm much more certain that they'll go back to Albert Lee to serve their community than I would be getting a student from, you know, uh, Minneapolis Minneapolis to then relocate. Even if I were to give them X amount of dollars to do so, it's, it's much more effective and efficient to grow those people in those areas. And so part of the work of the center is going to be looking at those programs. How do we educate high school students about these career opportunities so that hopefully a few of them will go on to become psychologists and hopefully will go back to their hometowns to provide that much needed care. All right. So this is online. What is the capacity in terms of numbers of students who can be a part of this? Is there a limit? It is really unlimited. Okay. So in the in these first few months, Karen, what we're really looking to do is kind of just grow our foundation. We're looking at partnerships with our community partners, uh, healthcare entities, agribusiness entities, anyone who has a vested interest in ensuring access to healthcare in rural areas. And so from now until August, that's really my job is to grow those partnerships. And that includes partners on campus with faculty and with students. And so I welcome any student or faculty or community partner who wants to know more about this and how they can help solve this problem to reach out directly to me and we can talk about how you can get involved to help us meet our mission. All right, Thad. So let's say there's some business that maybe is thinking about this. What would be your pitch to them? Let's, and why would this be a benefit for them to get involved? Well, the first wealth is health, right? I mean, we, we, are, we absolutely need our 
community to be as healthy as we possibly can. And that includes uh, health from pandemics and viruses. That includes health from things like obesity, but it also includes mental health. And so I think everyone who cares about our community has a vested interest uh, in this endeavor. And I think from a business standpoint, um, economic resilience is emotional resilience. And so you know if you own a business how many times your employees are having to not be at work because of those struggles or having to travel great distances. And so when I'm chatting with those agribusiness partners, they already know how expensive it is to have mental health treated, not in their communities, but somewhere else. And so I'm really looking for those partners for us to come together to solve this problem. All right. So let's say somebody's hearing this and they say, sounds interesting. How can I learn more? Where can they go or is there a website? Is there a number? What can they do to, to get a hold of you or whoever that might be able to direct them more? Yeah, so you can reach out to me directly. I welcome all inquiries directly to me, right start at the top. And so you can email me at uh, thad, T-H-A-D dot shunkweiler, S-H-U-N-K-W-I-L-E-R at M-N-S-U dot E-D-U. You can also find us on the M-N-S-U um, webpage if you were to go to the MSU. Look under Rural Behavioral Health Yep, it's not hard to find. Yeah, even if you were to Google us, the Center for Rural Behavioral Health, it will take you to our um, webpage, which gives you all sorts of um, opportunities to connect with me or uh, other members of our of our staff. Well, I hope somebody will reach out to you because it is is such an important issue. And you're starting this fall. I mean, do you have people already enrolled? So we are we are starting those partnerships now, and so we are we are building those relationships with students, with faculty, and with our community partners. And the goal is in late August, date yet to be finalized, but to have a community grand opening where we are inviting our local, you know, uh, government officials and other partners together, so that way we can really start the 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 mission of the center and solving this problem that uh, that is is really really been hard on our rural communities. Well, good luck to you on that. And now I'm going to switch over to another topic. Uh, Thad Schunkweiler, who we have in the studio, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Health Science here at Minnesota State, is going to be presenting a TED Talk this week, March 18th, which is Friday, as a part of the TEDx MNSU. It's an independently organized TED event. People see those people that give those TED Talks on some topic. And you are listed as a licensed behavioral health provider what are you talking about and how do you prepare for a TED Talk and how do you get selected? Because it's, you know, that lots of people watch these things. Yeah, first of all, what a great experience for our campus to bring the TED yeah. organization. Um, I mean, if, you've, if you're listening to this and never have seen a TED Talk, you're really missing out. There are thousands of these, you know, 18-minute or less kind of idea talks and have really been the launching pad for lots of people's, uh, famous people's careers, right? Mm-hmm. To give a TED Talk is a bit of an honor. And so I'm just so grateful that, A, we're hosting that here on our campus and that I was chosen to be part of that. And did so, you have to try out? You did, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the, like the American Idol, except it's, uh, it, Ted, it's TEDx MSU MNSU. It was very similar, except for there was no Simon Cowell <laughs> kind of telling you that uh, you, you weren't. Yeah, you weren't any good. But you know, the idea for this actually happened prior to COVID, and so there was a TED event scheduled that mm-hmm. spring. And obviously, with COVID hitting uh, us the way that it did, we had to cancel that and two years later bring it back. And so I was uh, part of that first group that was selected, and basically the university said 
we're bringing TED to our campus. If you want to give a TED talk, send us a video of what you want to talk about. And so I did that. And uh, I was fortunate to be one of those uh, 12 uh, who will be giving a, a talk on Friday and uh, actually be the first one. I'm the first one to go on Friday morning. And I will be do- talking about resilience because what? I feel it's it was my topic even before COVID. But I feel like in this post-COVID or this kind of tail end of COVID, it's more important than ever. And the idea of resilience is how are you able to navigate through you know life's challenges? And so I'll be doing a, a 12, uh, 13 minute talk about the importance of building resilience to navigate through life's difficulties. Now, when you prepare for these, do you, I mean, you have resilience. Do you base it on anecdotal things or research or, I mean, how do you, is it just I got to be a motivational speaker type person or what is it that makes it work? Yeah, the reason TED is so popular is that they're not academic, you know, snippets ah. that this is going to take me away from being a lecturer of students. And it's really a story. And so I use my own personal story of resilience and navigating through my life's challenges as a way to kind of show people the idea of resilience and how it can be important in their lives. And so I'm excited to be able to kind of share some some fairly personal things about my journey in life that I, I hope may help somebody else who's going through similar things be able to kind of bounce back from that adversity. Can we get a hint on what that adversity might be or is that? Yeah, let's see. Um, so essentially, uh, the basics of my talk is I didn't really understand resilience until after my time in the military oh. and coming home uh, from an overseas deployment. I was really introduced to this concept of being able to bounce back from adversity because at that time we were losing more soldiers to things like suicide and accidents uh, than we were on the battlefield. And and part of that is that the, the, the resilience wasn't there to kind of navigate those challenges. And so I speak a little bit to my kind of coming back from the military, but also I go even further back um, um, from when I uh, failed a grade in uh, middle school oh. and how I was able to kind of bounce back from a point in my life where I was headed down the very wrong track. And so for for me, my TED Talk is centered around those life events and how people who are listening to it might be able to use what I've learned to help them in their life. Oh, it sounds wonderful. So the TEDx MNSU event is this Friday. It says 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. and you are the first presenter. They got me going right out the gate. (laughs) And so what does that mean? I mean, it's in the Centennial Student Union. Can people come and watch? They can. So the um, the website is uh, TEDxMNSU.com. And on that website, it gives you some information about the day. Uh, there are tickets. Um, it is a, a ticketed event, um, as it is a very costly event to put on. And oh, so okay. uh, students can attend for the small fee of $5. And our community members can come and watch the event uh, for a $25 ticket, which I think is still a very good deal to be able to see one of these things. To put it in perspective, there's only ever been one other TED Talk in Minnesota, and that was at the U of M. And oh, so really? just a really cool opportunity for our campus. And and so that $20 you mentioned is good for all day long from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And I'm looking at some of the other presenters, Heather Von Bank, who is uh, Department of Family Consumer Sciences, Aaron Gonzalez, the Oh, she's also family, family consumer science. John Hicks, Department of Recreation. Abigail Oxborough, which is the director of leadership programming. You, that's Junkweiler, behavioral science. Kristen Kavankara, who is communication studies. Daniel Sackow, also psychology. Brian Frink, professor emeritus of art. Coralyn Musser, who is director of outreach and engagement. 
And it looks like uh, Cinder Kampoff, who is Department of Sport, Exercise, and Performance. So all day long, if you want to be a part of that, is it going to be online too? You know, it, the all of the videos will be recorded and posted on Ted's YouTube page. That typically takes what I've been told about a month after the event. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, the licensing requirements don't allow a kind of streaming of the okay. service. And so uh, if you want to participate, you got to be here on campus, which um, I'm excited about. It's been so long, Karen, since we've had our community on campus right. engaged in these type of things. We gave and up I, the mask just this past week, actually. Yeah, and I think it's time. I think it's time for us to say, let's get back and let's support our community. Let's support our university. And as you mentioned, it's there are 12 incredible speakers. There are students. There are community uh, you know, connections to this talk. And then uh, a number of faculty will also be doing it. But it's just a, a really cool opportunity for our campus. And so does the people from TED, whoever TED is, they're the ones that take the videos and they, they put it together and then share it with the rest of the world? So my understanding is that it's an independently organized event. And so the great people over there at uh, Industrial Organizational Psychology, who is hosting the TED okay. uh, X event, they are the ones coordinating the video production and the recording. And then they will send that to the larger TED entity who then will post it uh, in their kind of uh, venues and avenues. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, because I wanted to make sure we, since I had somebody on the show who was actually going to do that to let us know about it. So the TED X event is, like I said, Friday, 10 to 4, here on campus in the Centennial Student Union. Uh, be there. The theme is Big Ideas, Real World Thinking. And Thad will be there as well as many others from 10 until 4. So that's great. And also congratulations on the Center for Rural Behavioral Health. I want to hear more when we get to, as things get rolling along. I'd be happy to come back and share with you and your listeners about the great work we're about to accomplish. Thanks, Thad. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs>